You know those signs in the airport that say, if you see something, say something? I've been thinking a lot about that line, but in a very different context. I've been thinking a lot about, if you see something amazing in another human, say something. Express that gratitude. Express that kindness. I feel like so many things go unsaid, and most of the things that go unsaid are expressions of emotion, of love, of connection, that we feel like, oh, maybe this isn't the right moment, or, oh, they already know this. They already know that I care about them or like them or that I'm their friend. The last episode that I released was, of course, a a deeply personal, challenging one to do. Some of the story of my brother's death. And I just want to say out loud, like, I think... um, I don't know, I probably got 200 emails in response to that episode. And so many people just taking the minute, the 30 seconds in some cases, sometimes it was just a one line, hey, thank you for sharing that story. I know that was hard. So much love to you. You know, it's just, a, it's real simple, real short. But the fact that so many folks took the time to say something, to drop the email, to send the direct message, to just reach out was really, really significant to me. And I felt like it really was in the spirit of what the podcast was intended, which is to bring a little bit more compassion and awareness and kindness to the situations where it's highly possible that people are fighting their own battles or are struggling in some way that we don't know. And what what that is, is it's really the gift of words. It's the decision, the action to articulate something inside of us and give it in the gift of words, whether written or expressed verbally (laughs) to someone else. And words are such a beautiful connector. They're not the only way that we connect to other people, of course, but but one of the, the most commonly used ways, especially in our business and professional contexts. So this episode that we're talking about today is really very much about the gift of words. I got the chance to interview uh, my friend A.D. Pinar about his recent business exit from Conversio, some of his background with Woo Themes, which became WooCommerce. But really, really what I wanted to talk to A.D. about was his love of poetry. Those of you who follow A.D. on social media know that he's this entrepreneur, tech coder dude with a poet's heart. As I've seen him post his poetry and share his poetry, it's just really moved me. I, I love poetry, you know, myself as a human, but I love the way that Edie has integrated his poetic nature into his, you know, very successful business acumen. So I'm really excited to share our conversation. It was a really fun conversation for me to have. And uh, hopefully you will come away both with a with some good information about entrepreneurship and founding businesses, but also how to engage in your own expression of the gift of words. Welcome to the Zen Founder Podcast. This is a place where we have conversations about mental health and entrepreneurship. We have a pretty broad conceptualization of what mental health means sometimes depression, anxiety, sometimes relationships or physical health. The goal here is to bring some calm into the crazy roller coaster of ups and downs that is life for many entrepreneurs. I'm your host, I'm Dr. Sherry Walling. 
I'm a clinical psychologist and an entrepreneur, married to an entrepreneur, live in the world of entrepreneurs, and I'm so pleased that you have joined us for this conversation. So I'm, I've been looking forward to this conversation for like weeks and weeks because I obviously in the context of the podcast, in the context of my consulting work, I get to speak with like lots of amazing founders and entrepreneurs, but I rarely get to talk to tech founders about poetry. So this feels like a really cool convergence of my world. <laughs> And by, by the way, likewise, like, you know, everyone always asks me like, hey, AD, like business, that business, you know, whatever. And nobody asks me about poetry. So like, I, I also love the opportunity. Which I'm, I'm surprised about because just kind of being in your world on social media, like you do talk quite a bit about your life as a poet. You post your work and it's kind of in your byline, you know, AD, founder of Conversio, co-founder of, you know, WooThemes, WooCommerce, and then poet. <laughs> So I'm surprised that, you know, you don't get a little more street cred for your poetry life. Well, I mean, I, I, I don't know. I guess it's, I think most people have the relationship they have with poetry generally goes, probably goes back to school, right? I mean, I know for me that there was a gap like from school where I was forced to study poetry as part of like both Afrikaans and English. And then there was a big gap of not really being exposed to any poetry and not really probably being interested in it you know, either. So I think when most people see poetry, they're like, you know, WTF, like, why is this relevant? And it's almost like a blip on the radar and it just goes over their head. By. So, and they don't explore. I think that's the thing. It's like they see it, but they don't actually explore. So you've, you've spent the last, what, like 10, 15 years founding some pretty tremendous companies that I, I know is very time-consuming, like kind of requires all of your energy and effort to do the work that you've done. And now we can publicly say you've had your second exit with Conversio. Congratulations. Thank you very much. <laughs> so after your life as a student, like how did you find your way back to poetry in the midst of like this like super intense professional life? Yeah. So what, what ultimately happened, Sherry, was um, so it was about two years ago now, November 2017, really kind of just difficult period generally kind of in, you know, in life and business for me. And what effectively happened um, at that stage is we had thought we had revenue in the business. And at that stage, think doing some quick math, I mean, it was about 20% of our revenue that just was overreported, and it suddenly wasn't there. And we've always been mostly self-funded. We raised a, you know, a single round of funding back in the day. Kind of the idea was always to chart close to profitability in that sense and to eventually be really profitable, right? So when this thing happened where we realized we don't have this revenue, it changed many things in the business, right? Um, I had to do, do my first ever layoffs, right? I mean, obviously, like with WooThemes, I'd obviously let kind of, you know, team members go in the past, but that was more performance related or kind of they weren't a fit. This is the first ever time where kind of finances caused me, you know, to, to, to say, listen, you know, we can't do this. We have to change. We have to do a hard pivot to, to rescue the business. And um, what effectively happened, like that was the prior, like, I think that was the trigger, right? And I just found myself in this space where I really questioned like, is this something that I want to do long-term? And this meaning, like, be an entrepreneur, right? And build businesses or whatever. Because business is always, like, I mean, I've been upfront about, you know, business having its ups and downs for me. But I think at that stage, it was just like, I'd felt a lot of stress for a long time. And it was just that tipping point. And what ultimately happened, I mean, long-winded story, but what ultimately happened is, for whatever reason, I picked up on Kindle, I picked up Rupi Kaur's um, Milk and Honey. 
And I, I, I don't know how, like, you know, kind of how either Amazon or Jeff Bezos kind of personally decided that this is the recommendation for the day. But the universe sent it to you. Exactly. But, you know, I, I picked it up um, and I think for me, that was my first, I think, adult exposure to contemporary poetry. And I just loved, like, I, I love the, the, the rawness, the emotiveness thereof, but also the unstructuredness, which really set me down a path of like these two worlds of, say, kind of art and business or art and capitalism, which has been a, a kind of predominant theme for me in the last you know, 18 or so months. And that's effectively as I, I found it whilst I was in a, in a dark place and it actually helped me get out of that space. Do you remember if there was a poem, particularly in that milk and honey text that really grabbed you at that point? I've got one here that I can actually share because um, I revisited it, preparing at least, I revisited. So, um, and it's one of our slightly kind of longer poems, but it essentially says, your art is not about how many people like your work. Your art is about if your heart likes your work. If your soul likes your work, it's about how honest you are with yourself. And you must never trade honesty for relatability. And I think that was like, I think those kind of things you know, throughout the book, at least one of the things that I took away from, from Rupi's first book was that very authentic focus on self, authentic and imperfect, right? I mean, I, I don't think she represents herself in a way that she thinks she's got all these things figured out, but it was just, that was what was relatable to me. That's what, what I also needed at that stage to kind of almost reconnect to a part of me that when I was younger with Blue Themes, being an entrepreneur was easier as well, because I, I didn't care as much. Like, it was carefree, blah, blah, blah. With Convergio, it changed, right? I mean, I had two kids. Like, I had a reputation to uphold. Like, it wasn't... You have things to lose. Exactly. Whereas with Houthians, I, I had very little to lose, right? So it helped me rediscover that those parts of myself that I had probably become too risk-averse to. I can imagine, too, in that moment where you're, you're doing layoffs, you're realizing that the financial health of your business is not what you thought it was, and you're kind of asking, like, do I like this? Like, is this the art that I want to make in the world? And that poem sort of reminder of like, it, it's all very much about what you love and what you can authentically give yourself to more than whether it's successful from that external metric. Yeah, totally. And I think, you know, in, in, in hearing you say that, the thing that comes up actually is with, with Convergio, at least we've, the tool we try to build, even though it was marketing software as a kind of general category is we try to do something that. Like we often use the word kinder, like we wanted to be kinder, both in terms of the way we ran the business, kind of constructed the team, the way we worked, but also in terms of kind of the marketing that we put out there ourselves and the way we built the product. And I think what was almost disheartening is even though we had all these great ideals, we almost kept losing against competitors that were just being aggressive and capitalist, right? Like not as kind. Exactly, right? And kindness doesn't always win. Is that what you're saying? <laughs> yes, and I, and, you know, and I think that's the kind of for me that's that kind of tension that I now understand is a tension between those more creative, artistic parts of business and just being competitive, right? I, I'm definitely not here saying either or is kind of wrong, right? I mean, I think any successful artist regardless of their medium, would agree with me in saying that it's important to put yourself out there, put your work out there. And if you want to do this in the long term, you probably need to get paid for it in some way, you know, shape or form, right? So it's not me kind of poo-pooing either of those, but there is a tension between those two. And I think, again, like at that tipping point, 
having tried to be different, tried to be kinder, tried to be better for the whole universe in some way, we almost failed at that. So poetry became that kind of outlet for me as well, where I at least, you know, kind of uncoupled myself from, like I could just write without a goal or without a capitalist goal, at least. I could write for other goals. The feedback loop was internal, right? It it was meaningful because it was satisfying to you, not meaningful because it made a certain amount of money or generated a certain amount of popularity or uh, notoriety. Exactly. How was your experience writing your first couple of poems? Weird, to be honest. Especially like, I mean, the, the little bits that I had remembered from how to structure poems, how to write poems from, as I said, from school, I mean, I, I know that there are, like, there's formulas and there's rhythm and rhyme and, you know, meter and all those kind of things, right? I get that. And I started writing and I was like, mm, you know, consumer poetry breaks all of that, right? There, there are, literally are just no rules. And it felt wrong. Like, I felt dirty doing it. <laughs> it cheapened you somehow. Exactly. But, you know, in, in, in some way, not having those, either the structure or the confines was exactly what I needed, right? So like after a while, like it, it became easier to write. And I, you know, I found myself writing both kind of, you know, pen on paper. I kind of had a thought on a note, like on my phone, if I had my phone with me, just whatever way. So the words came easier once I gave myself permission to also just kind of say, well, you know, there is no goal here. Like no one's going to judge this um, if I don't judge this, right? I mean, that's the, the first part of it. If I don't judge this, I can write and publish whatever the hell I want. And always decide... Who gets to see it? Yeah. Yeah, you've shared at least some of your poetry fairly publicly. Are there, is that an important part of it for you? Or are there poems that you just sort of hold that are, that are yours? No, well, I've got loads of things that I haven't published yet. I mean, the things I have published was also more of a kind of, um, again, the kind of almost the entrepreneurial mindset taking over, right? The idea of kind of, you know, influencing my audience and taking them along with me on this journey, right? And, you know, getting engagement around kind of my poetry. And unfortunately, because that doesn't pay the bills, like it's been on and off for me since I started. So, I mean, I've, I've loads of things I haven't published, but I don't think that there's anything that I would purposely hold back. I mean, I, again, I, like for me, it's easy for me to be vulnerable. And like, uh, I think I told you at the beginning, I call it, uh, I wear my heart on my sleeve. Like that's how, that's what I also enjoy being, right? And who I enjoy being both kind of on, you know, online, but also offline and in real life. So I don't think that there's anything like that I would purposely kind of hold back in the future. Do you have poems that you've written about being an entrepreneur, you know, more specifically? Any, any top of mind that you could share or... I, I mean, I can, I, I can definitely kind of read you a couple. I, the, what is interesting, and I, I think you'll enjoy this, because I'm very proud of this, at least. So part of my kind of just taking a step back to the poetry, part of my own kind of mindfulness journey, my therapist helped me kind of understand the how motion and movement actually helps with specifically stress cycles and getting past trauma. And I believe, without butchering the name now, a book by a professor called Peter Levine called Taming the Tiger, Right. So she had me read this like back in the day um, and what ultimately ended up happening. So I've got a full book of poems, my initial poems, of which I probably wrote about 80 percent during those during the first kind of you know, month or two after like we had the issues with the business. And it's called motion. And it's mostly kind of constructed um, within the book as going through those 
kind of, you know, being captive, going into that kind of tremor that kind of, you know, Peter Levine talks about, um, and then coming out, uh, you know, in, in, into motion again, which is ultimately kind of, you know, again, exploring ideas, um, you know, making things, putting oneself out there. So a big part of that kind of writing the book was me going through that whole stressful experience and, you know, coming out on the other side uh, with movement once again. I love that language. I would love for you to read one, but I, I just love that language, especially for the entrepreneurial journey, because it is, it's a journey, right? It's, you're never in the same place twice. There's so much movement, but so many of us move in and out of, you know, we can call it the ups and downs. I sometimes call it orientation and disorientation, where we feel really anchored and oriented and like, I know where I am and where I'm going. And then the disorientation of like, I have no fucking idea, like what I'm doing, where I'm going, how this is going to fit together. And so it's sort of the movement through those, those like undulation, those waves and cycles. So this like sort of bigger picture of motion, I think is really, really, really representative of the entrepreneurial journey from, from my vantage point, at least. I agree. I mean, I think if I like, again, like using the language at this age for me is a very much a hindsight thing. I only learned that much later in my life, but kind of, if I also look back at the journey, the only way that I have known how to make kind of progress in business and life has been movement. Right. And I think for me, like if you ask me, like, what do I think my, you know, best skills or characteristics or whatever it is with regards to business. I think, I honestly think like perseverance is just one of those things. And it's just for me, it's always been like show up, do some work, right? Try and do good work, mostly pick the right things to do. And eventually that creates the momentum to kind of, you know, create that forward motion. So as it understanding that intellectually as well now and having that language is very helpful because now I can also wake up every morning saying to myself like, this is going to be a tough day, like mm, not into this, but I know that I just kind of whatever I'm feeling, I can acknowledge it and I can just move forward or move in any direction. It doesn't even have to be forward. I just need to keep on moving. Like the worst that I can do is, is at least physically be still. All right. Poem about entrepreneurship. So I tried to, I've I, I got two here for you. So the one is probably more in the first part of the book, more around kind of capture. And then the second part is around, you know, finding, starting to find that, that movement again. So the first is ambition is feast or famine, up, down on the roller coaster. My sensation tethered to fortune, my unhappiness rooted in misfortune. Like a masochist, I choose this path. My identity, all or nothing, backwards, forwards on this journey. The only way I know Rarely exploring beyond these lines. A hired man waiting to be paid. How do I convince myself of a happy life without this? So, like, I mean, even for me reading that, by the way, like, I, I can see, like, that kind of that last kind of question there, big part of the kind of the almost existential things that I was questioning at that stage. Like, literally, like, what does this mean about me? Like, what does it mean kind of, you know, for me being an entrepreneur? It does get, so I'll read you the second one as well and just at least contrast the kind of the motion because the first part of the book is also, I think it's somewhat, is, is, it's dark in a very kind of emotive kind of way, even I think so, but the rest of the book kind of, you know, changes pace quite a bit. So the, the second one I'll read is ripples and radiance, energy bubbling from deep within, upwards, I can breathe again. Dots connecting, thoughts gathering momentum towards clarity, onwards, I can move once more. So there's the motion following that darkness. Yeah. So the, do the two 
kind of halves of the book map on to two different times in your life? Or were they written sort of the poems in the, the first half and the poems in the second half, were they written kind of all at the same time or in, chronologically jumbled? They were written at about the same time. And they probably kind of, at the time, going through their experience um, in the business, you know, I probably kind of jumped from the one state to the next. And it was only, and I think, much later when I had most of the poems written and I tried to figure out, like, how would I structure this, that I had kind of realized that it actually had coincidentally had this narrative around motion. So I think partly it was a subconscious thing in that sense. I, I, I didn't initially make that link back to what I had understood about kind of how movement helps with kind of, you know, you know, just with trauma and stress, but it was something that was there. I mean, it was part of at least my kind of, you know, mind space, because at that stage, that wasn't the first time in my life that I'd gone through that experience. I mean, I'd, I'd gone through a much, a much worse situation about two years prior to that in my personal life, for example. And that's where, I mean, I mentioned my therapist, that's where she helped me first understand like those experiences, those ex- you know, sensations. But yeah, at the time, the poems at least kind of, I flip-flopped everywhere. I, I was literally just writing. Just moving some of that energy in out. Has your deep dive into poetry made you a better entrepreneur? I guess we'll see, right? Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know what? I think so, right? I mean, I think... How has it changed you rather than a yes or no question? How has it sort of reshaped you, your identity as an entrepreneur? The most obvious part is it kept me, you know, at least striving and moving forward um, within Converger, right? And like it ultimately, what, what happened after those, you know, kind of those layoffs, Converger was flat in terms of revenue for about 18 months. Like we had many, many challenges and we eventually found growth again and then the acquisition kind of happened right so i think just on a kind of you know the first thing me as an entrepreneur like it, it reignited that at least that that willingness probably i wouldn't even even say desire but the willingness to persevere and to continue pushing forward that was definitely there because i i found something else maybe as a distraction or as motivation but it was something else as well like i, I at least realize that if this 80 entrepreneur thing doesn't work out, then there's loads of other labels that I can eventually kind of, you know, explore and attach to myself if I wanted to. So I think, you know, that's the one part thereof. And the other part is, and this is probably the part that I think, uh, you know, conversion was too early and, and the acquisition came too early for conversion to have benefited from this. But I, I, I now have so many thoughts around just this interplay between business and art. Um, and I, you know, at least part of me is excited about that opportunity in future where I get to really leverage what I've learned about those two things. And I probably need to do like loads more exploring and distilling of what that actually even means. But I think like having been an entrepreneur for so long, it almost becomes very narrow, right? I mean, I, I also, interesting enough, for the longest time, I got into Converge after Ruthenes because I didn't want to be a one-hit wonder. It was interesting, like, again, wordplay during the last year or so, I, I caught it onto this there of like literally being one at wonder and now I'm just a one trick pony. Ouch. <laughs> like exactly. I mean, it's, Way to like skewer yourself for your success. <laughs> yes. And that, that's, that's what my perception and experience was at the time. But what it did feel like it was kind of going from new themes to conversion was mostly an incremental thing. Like I was, yes, I was learning. Yes, I was evolving, but it was all incremental. And fair enough, like today versus five years ago versus five years before that, that 80 is obviously very, very different, right? And if you kind of, add up all those incremental little bits it's definitely like I'm not a one-trick pony I, I also know that cognitively but I think the kind of what kind of exploring art helped me jump 
into another realm or like help me you know leap over a fence of some kind that wasn't as you know as narrow or as linear as just business well i love the line in the first poem of yours that you read just a minute ago well i don't i don't have it exactly but that sort of all or nothing my identity all or nothing like you're exploring in that poem at least partially like is this the is this me is this the only thing i am and so the fact that the very method by which you're exploring that question has helped to broaden or expand your own sense of your identity is pretty pretty beautiful i think the hard part there for me was in in realizing that even me describing myself as an entrepreneur to some extent like the the label has been butchered in the, kind of in the mainstream like whatever it means to me is not what it means to everyone else right we all have our own connotations and definitions you know, to it and i just i think i just saw so many things happening under you know within that sphere of entrepreneurship that i just didn't agree with right you know whether it was hustle porn or like any like other things i just there was a part of me that just said you know what I am unique. I know that, and I need to rebel against, you know, being confined by this label. Even though it is a good descriptor of who I am, right? I, I will always be an entrepreneur, but I will probably not be 100% of the kind of crowdsourced definition that you can get for for entrepreneur. And in that sense, you know, kind of me exploring that all or nothing was just kind of, you know, what happens if I if I'm not the entrepreneur at all? And who is that AD actually? And how how do I actually define that? How do I present myself? you know, to the world and those around me. I think it's, you know, from where I sit as a mental health professional, it's such an important question because I I work with so many entrepreneurs who have just by nature of what it is, it's not pathological, but by nature of what it is, we really intertwine our identities with our businesses. So when the business is successful, we're successful. When the business is not, we're not. It's a very it's a very kind of codependent enmeshed relationship that most of us have with our businesses. And I think the power of having some other part of your life, you know, for lots of folks, it's family and that's, that's really great, but especially a part of your life that is very interior, that is soulful or reflects an inner life reflects that you are a being that has some separateness from this business that you spend your time in, I think it it really, it's such a, I think, radically freeing realization for entrepreneurs that I know who have, who have figured out how to get there to really realize like, this is, this is the game I play with my days and it's great. And I love it. And I'm glad I do this work, but I exist as a separate entity from this thing. And that, that seems to change the game, I think for a lot of people. Yeah, I, I totally. I mean, I, I I think I'm the first one to to be able to say that I, I know that. And like when I when I have that separation, or at least when I have that buffer, right? That's probably when I'm at my best and at my happiest as well. It is when things are too enmeshed that like I I tend to you know be a little frantic or anxious or just in a like just in a tough spot. So yeah, I, that that makes total sense. I mean, I I think the interesting thing is because you mentioned family there. Like my family is a massive part of my life. I, I like if you ask me like what my highest values are, I will tell you my family is my highest value. The interesting thing though is like like I also know that I I, I can't just be defined as a dad, right? There is that that there is that part of where I like whatever I put out in the world needs to be about me, and my kids aren't about me, for example. Like they are like 
if you're healthy, they're not about you. <laughs> exactly. Right. Ideally, they're not about you. <laughs> and I mean, for, so I, I need to make things. And I love what you said there, like, whether it's in business, for me, kind of exploring poetry, like it is taking a part of me and putting it out there for the world to share. Right. And like, the world can pull it apart. They can interact with it. Like it, it's not it's not me anymore. It's just a part of me. Yeah. And, and to have that space to be a self that is. I mean, we're always going to be partially defined by the ways that we interact with the world, by our business or by our children or by our spouse or whatever. And that's, that's, you know, that's all as it should be. But again, to know that there's this corner of us that is purely us and that that has some life in the world, whether it's through poetry or some other kind of artistic expression, I think is, is really helpful. I feel really lucky that I get to talk to you right before this becomes public that, um, that, by now, by the time that we push this live, it will be more widely known that um, you've exited from Conversio or Conversio has been acquired. Woohoo! First of all, what's that feeling like? <laughs> How you doing? It's interesting. I mean, I think the, the, the reality is that the transaction closed uh, two months ago now, right? And the kind of, you know, from initial interest to, to closing was about three months. Those three months was a whirlwind for multiple reasons. I think being solo founder, I think firstly, and like having to, like I, I literally, it felt like I had to learn like by drinking from a fire hose. Like there was just so many things that I had to learn about these things. And the kind of the timeline around that has kind of was ambitious, which is good as well. It, That's a fast timeline. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's it's good to one, you know, kind of to, to one extent, like, right? Because right? we got to conclusion sooner, which is better. But it was like it, like when we had two family trips planned, for example, during that time that I couldn't put on hold. But the most interesting part, I think there was, what is weird is I've always thought that I build businesses to be independent. And then as soon as kind of the, the acquisition became, it became very likely, there is definite attachment to just the, the consequences and the rewards from that. And then kind of going through that process and kind of the, the risk of the deal, for example, not happening. That was very hard. Like, and I, I know rationally, I know, like, I, I, I should not be that attached to anything, right? But that, like, that, that's hard, right? So, but anyway, if you, if you ask me, like, how I feel even kind of today, like, it's, um, I don't think I've settled into my new normal yet. Well, it sounds like you don't know what a new normal will be. It's all sort of shifting, yeah, well, I mean, on a very kind of, you know, clear, obvious kind of level of playing field at these days, I've only ever been employed for six weeks of my life. So I, I literally do not know what it is to be employed, right? So just, I think in that, and the way things, that changes, like there's a big transformation, big evolution for me to kind of, you know, you know, undergo here and a whole new experience within this new company and a much bigger company as well, much bigger than I had previously you know, been exposed to. So I think just in that, yes, I, I don't know what kind of that new normal is. I don't know. I can't like peg my kind of your flag and say the hole is over there. Like I could just tee off over here and like in a few shots, I'll get to, you know, get to the foot because I don't know what that looks like just yet. It's more like a dark tunnel and you have a small flashlight. Yes. <laughs> it was more like, yeah. Cave exploration. Um, have you have you been writing about this phase of the journey? A poem about un, about not knowing? <laughs> <laughs> no, so not not really. I, I haven't written that much, and at least in the last two months, just purely. Uh, I, I think there is 
part burnout at least, but I think what I've at least tried to do, I've also, you know, for the last five months, I mean, I, I, I'm a voracious reader and I've also just like just almost, I, I haven't stopped reading completely, but I've read very little just because I, I need to allow my brain to just shut off. So I've tried to do other things, which is mostly like just sit and do nothing. But yeah, I, I haven't written that much lately. I think when you're, when you're so deeply entrenched in the, the generative or the creative process of, of like birthing a deal like this, I mean, it really is so much stinking energy and like effort, uh, you know, watching Rob go through it was really, really, really eye-opening for me. I mean, I can just imagine that there's no other part of you that has any sort of generative capacity, any capacity to like make something and put it out in the world. And so when you're so in on one particular project that some of that other energy shuts down. Yeah. And you know what I mean, mentioning Rob, for example, I, I think if I had to write at this stage, it would have been almost a, uh, you know, more of an investment into myself, right? Putting more energy into that kind of self. And what I actually needed and why kind of I mentioned Rob is like, what is probably more cathartic for me in the last you know, couple of weeks is speaking to other people. So Rob and I had a just kind of a little ad hoc, you know, catch up and, and conversation a couple of weeks ago. And that was probably at that stage was much more as a cathartic, it was much more therapeutic in many ways than I could have done with writing because writing, like writing is always, and that's where the poetry comes from as well. It, it helps me work through things that are in my head, right? But kind of, I, I think where I'm at now is I, I need to speak to people. It doesn't talk back to you. Exactly. Like I, I need that you know, interaction and like being able to throw a ball against you know a wall and have the ball come back, and not just kind of you know throw words onto you know onto paper of some kind, and then having to also have the kind of a, the task of eventually reading those words you know, kind of out loud to myself, right? So. It's, it's just, I think it's just a seasonal thing. That's at least the way I understand it, is that my need and how I communicate and put myself out there is a little bit different than I actually, as an introvert, I actually you know, need more people in my life at this stage. Well, I like the sensitivity to, to listen to which kind of phase this is. Because I, I do think that sometimes people have a you know set of coping skills, for example. They have like a way that they cope with challenges or stressful time in their lives. And that's, it's lovely, but we often need like a, a broad variety of, of tools in our toolbox that include different kinds of connections, different kinds of, of movement. I mean, I shared this a little bit on the podcast more recently, but in the last year, I've had all of these losses in my life. Um, my dad and my brother both passing. And so I have felt such this strong need to literally move, like to like join the circus to train like two or three hours a day, you know, this like real, you know, but I don't, I don't have to live there all the time, but right now I have to live there. I have to do that. Otherwise it just, I'm not nourishing the part of me that needs that. So I think that the wisdom of like, Hey, this is a season where I just need to spend a lot of time talking with other founders who've had similar kinds of exits and sort of figure out what the roadmap is. And then there are other seasons where I need, poetry or I need horseback riding or I need to go surfing or, you know, these different kinds of interactive experiences. Exactly. And you know what is, I think what is great, you know, with that, because I, I will ultimately be like, I, I have my little box of tricks, like of things that I can do, whether it's reading, writing. I mean, I, I run a lot and I've always used, for example, used running as a way to cope. And interestingly, or kind of as part of this journey, I mean, I had major ankle surgery a couple of months ago, so I've not been able to run. 
I, I've also found myself in like I, I've had to be creative and find new ways of you know kind of you know coping. And again, like that's where I think that that seasonality comes in. That's probably only for now, but maybe five years down the line, like I encounter a similar situation where I then have that skill, that that new skill that I learned during this time. That's not the same old, same old, like or not the primaries, right? Not it's not running, it's not breathing, it's not meditating, whatever it is. Is your is your book available? Can people pick it up? Is it on Amazon? Is it on your website? Is can it be found? No, well, no. So no, it can't be found just just, just yet. Um, I mean, I, I've got. I, I think it's peering over my screen here. I think I've got like ten physical copies. If anyone wanted a, a actual copy, but seriously, like what effectively happened was the the manuscript was ready, and the next step was just to update my personal sites and then to put this out there um and then the deal kind of happened and deal with priority um you know over above everything else but it is very much kind of you know, a priority for me now like things are settling i have a little bit of, of free time so yeah i mean if anyone listening like would love a copy i mean i, I will just give them kind of the pdf for now like anyone can read you know that for, you know if they wanted but it's it's on my list to actually put it out there it's coming. It's emerging. And people who, who are interested in supporting your work or in the, the eventual book launch can, can follow you on your personal sites or on social media. Yeah, the, so the best is ad.me, uh, which is my personal blog. I mean, again, before the deal, I used to I publish something weekly, short, like little things that includes poetry as well. So that's probably the best, or ad.i, that is, on both Twitter and Instagram. Instagram also has quite a few of... The poems that will be in the book, um, as well as a few other things like updated like things that's more about magic and romance and love and other things that I've written since having come out of the initial dark phase. Yeah, the business trauma. Yeah, exactly. I took Rob to his first poetry reading last week, actually. His poetry has been a, a big part of my life in the last couple of years, but. Uh, I finally took him to this poetry reading and he really enjoyed it. But he walked out and he was like, is it always so sad? (laughs) (laughs) And I was like, um, no, but maybe, I don't know. I was like, you know, poets write about like trauma, sadness, and love. So which do you want? (laughs) Exactly. So so the answer to Rob is, um, so yes, mostly. Like poems are like... Yes, true. Yeah, yeah. exactly. <laughs> it's, it's your own inner therapy. You're just working it out <laughs> for many of us. Exactly. Well, I am so grateful for your time. Do you have... Is there one last poem you could leave with us before we wrap up here? Or two or three, whatever. Yeah, so, I mean, I, uh, I'll read you a couple. And so these are uh, kind of the things. They're shorter um, and they're definitely kind of what I would say. Definitely the second phase, the whole different phase um, that's been more around kind of the themes that I am exploring is around magic um, and specifically fullness as well, which is very interesting. I mean, that's probably a whole different conversation, but the idea, uh, I also, within all of this, um, I stumbled onto just exploring both masculine and feminine energy. And for example, mostly understanding that the masculine um, is very linear, always striving for an exit or a release of some kind, whereas the feminine tends to be much kind of has that quality of fullness and some would say kind of be a chaos and whatever but kind of you know for me what has been interesting in in, in exploring in life is whenever I can stick closer to the feminine and not just try and get the hell out of here that's actually when I benefit the most 
um, and when I find myself in the best kind of experiences. So many of the things that I've kind of written since has been in that realm of you know, fullness, magic, you know, love, romance, the non-sad stuff. So you can tell Rob that there's hope, but I'll, I'll read you a couple here. Uh, and these haven't been edited, by the way. So if, if they're really sh**, it's because the editor hasn't you know, kind of worked their magic. Second sight, sixth sense, sleight of hand. Beating hard, breathing alchemy, your personal brand. In truth, in love, in demand, the world desires more of your magic. Sometimes I wish I could draw so that I could give these words about you the color that your magic deserves. And then one last one. Amongst your fullness, there is enough oxygen to make this fire burn. Beautiful. I mean, the, so the, the newer poems, by the way, has been, for me at least, has been a much more like fun experience writing as well. It's not been as like therapeutic. It's, it's much more of a proactive exploration there. I mean, I, I picked a theme that I had like picked up in just multiple books and I was like, well, this is something I, I want to learn more about. And part of that learning was just also writing. Um, and poems just ended up being that medium or, or the format of choice. It's, it, yeah, the playful, sensual, yeah, lovely. Well, thank you so much, Adi, for, for sharing your work, edited and unedited, and for, for sharing your journey and your heart. So I'm excited for you for this next phase. Hopefully it's, it's a, another iteration of a grand adventure and one that you will be writing more poems about. Yeah, well, I mean, sure. Thanks for, for having me. I think like we can put this on record stating that you're the first person to ever ask me, uh, at least in an interview, at least about my poetry. So if I ever become like, if, Eighty, the second act is all about being a poet, and I become world famous. Like I will send you royalties of some kind. Awesome! You've launched here <laughs> on the Zen Founder Podcast. Exactly. <laughs> Thanks for listening. We'll be back in two weeks with a new episode of the podcast. In the meantime, feel free to check out ZenFounder.com for lots of resources about the kinds of conversations that we have on the podcast. You can get information about working with me, about maybe joining a Zen tribe. It's sort of like a mental health boot camp for entrepreneurs. We also have lots of content on our blog, links to resources in our courses and books for sale. So check us out there and we hope to provide anything and everything that you might need to make the entrepreneurial life a little bit easier.